This podcast is intended as entertainment for grown-ups and to spread awareness of 826LA, a nonprofit writing and tutoring center for children ages 6 to 18. Visit 826LA.org for a full schedule of 826LA's events and programs, including the Time Travel Mart, with locations in Echo Park and Mar Vista, California. And now, the host of the Dead Authors Podcast, Mr. H.G. Wells. Hello all, H.G. Wells here. Welcome to Chapter 45 of the Dead Authors Podcast. But how can this be? Chapter 45 was released months ago, and the chapter prior to this one was designated number 47. It's a madhouse, I tell you. A non-numerically ordered madhouse. <laughs> In point of fact, this is merely part two of chapter 45 of the Dead Authors Podcast. No need to bite your arm off over it. My, but you non-time travelers are an excitable lot, aren't you? That's correct, ladies and gentlemen. The first and almost certainly last of the fabled Dead Arthur's two-parters. And who better to grace our stage a second time than the Commodore of Circumlocution himself, Scientology founder, and I suppose science fiction author, L. Ron Hubbard. I do apologize for the delay in the recording and release of this installment, but I was caught up in one of my time jaunts, you see, and the scheduling of interviews was the very last thing on my mind. I was traversing the galaxy some 75 million years ago, a time when, despite startling similarities in manner, dress, and transportation to 1950s America, the universe was in fact made up of a great many more stars and planets than it is today. As such, the Galactic Confederacy was facing a rather serious overpopulation problem and had made the terrible decision to eliminate the excess beings. The evil ruler of the Confederacy, with the aid of a dastardly band of psychiatrists, rounded up billions of people under the guise of mass tax audits, paralyzed them and froze their souls. These poor sards were then loaded onto a fleet of spacecraft not dissimilar to the Douglas DC-8 airliners of the late 50s and transported to a planet that had been earmarked for destruction. Upon arrival at this doomed celestial body, the unlucky Frozen were deposited in and around the planet's volcanic masses, followed shortly thereafter by a galactic bucket load of hydrogen bombs. The resulting blast was a terrifying spectacle, and I found myself transfixed by the aftermath. If I didn't know better, I'd swear I saw the billions of now disembodied souls being rounded up for the purposes of implanting false data that they would then pass on to future citizens of this unfortunate prison planet, rendering them forever confused and unhappy. I tell you, dear listener, it was something to see. And I dare say it'd make outstanding fodder for a science fiction story, so long as you didn't get too carried away with it. Point being, I've had me hands full, and now you've got your hands full of some manner of computing device, within which resides Chapter 45, Part 2, of the Dead Authors Podcast, with my returning guest, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> the fellow right there was... Saluting you. Here. That's a royal officer over there. Give me a proper salute. Good evening. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's wonderful to be back. Now, in 1952. Oh dear. Oh my. I was elected the Chancellor of Arby's. Yes, that's. <laughs> It's true. We did not have time to get into it last time. We learned all about how you were the first... I left people hanging for a long time yes, on that. You were, the, you were the first commander of McDonald's. That's correct. That it, that Prior was... to that, no one had even attempted to command it. 
It was considered uncommandable. See, now before before we get into your chancellorship of Arby's. All right. Which and can you tell everyone what Arby stands for? Arby stands for American Roast Beef. Yes. That's right. there was a time when it was called Ameri- it was called Arben, American Roast Beef, no? <laughs> A-R-B-N, American's Roast Beef, no. That's right. One of the first things I did is I said, let's make it more positive. We so, can make a roast beef sandwich. Well then, to, to, to be fair, you yeah. were the first chancellor of Arben. At the time that I came in, it was Arben. But we changed the name and I became the first chancellor of Arby's. Now, I had heard that it stood for America's Roast Beef, Yes Sir. Does that sound familiar to anyone in the audience? No? How about the other thing? Did that sound familiar? All right, all right. But I suppose that explains the apostrophe in Arby's. Huh? Not not worth discussing. Um, Prior to that, obviously there had been roast beef and there had been sandwiches. But attempts... (laughs) Attempts to make roast beef sandwiches had met with catastrophic results. <laughs> you're saying, you're saying prior, to, prior to your taking over the chancellorship of Arby's, yeah. there had been no such thing as a roast beef sandwich? Not one that did not result in blindness <laughs> or a loss of feeling in the fingers. This sounds like a, a, a real Excalibur situation. Ah, yes. You remember Excalibur. Oh, yes, I remember. It's the book I forgot to write that drove people insane when they read it. (laughs) Speaking of writing, Commodore, Commodore, speaking of writing, the last time you were here, you, uh, as as the, uh, you know, traditionally we ask the author to read some of their works, and you you read an excerpt from a memoir that you had written to yourself. A memoir of myself, to myself, from myself, for myself. <laughs> Shall not perish from this earth. And you read your, you read your affirmations. That's right. Uh, and, and I understand you actually have a few more. That's right. I didn't read the whole thing. I've got a few more. And, and may I say, I'm quite surprised because I thought that first round of affirmations seemed to cover everything, including snakes at the foot of the bed. Yep, well, it was long, but there's more to it. Once again, I did, because uh, I knew you wanted me to read something, and I, wa- I thought better to read one of my uh, science fiction novels, and I did go back and I revisited some of those, and once again, could not make head nor tail of them. <laughs> they don't hold together. Oh, that, and that's you saying that. Huh? That's you saying that. Well, they, they did the job. I got paid for them. Anyhow, uh... Do you, do, you uh, feel that, do you feel that it's, it's a result of your policy of first draft, last draft, get it out the door? Totally. <laughs> totally. Maybe a second draft would have helped things. Oh, uh, absolutely. In terms of quality? Yes. <laughs> but it would have resulted in a precipitous drop in quantity. <laughs> so anyway, yes, I revisit my memoir. Here we go. <laughs> wasn't sure if you were finished saying the word. <laughs> I'm not finished. But I can keep saying other words. Pray continue. I have that skill. I can continue to say one word while speaking others. 
I'm one of the only people on earth who's certified to do it. <laughs> From where did you get the certification? The certification? Yes. It was a, uh, a Martian god. All right. <laughs> Certifies people and things such as that. Uh, yeah, so, uh, by the way, how, how this works is that I often, I'll, I'll read these to myself while in a uh, semi-self-hypnotic uh, state, not unlike the Dianetic Reverie. Okay. These words and commands are like fire and will sear themselves into every corner of my being, making me happy and well and confident forever. Masturbation does not injure or make insane. Your parents were in error. Everyone masturbates. <laughs> you have no urge to talk about your Navy life. You do not like to talk of it. You never illustrate your point with bogus stories. <laughs> it is not necessary for you to lie to be amusing and witty. <laughs> the most thrilling thing in your life is your love and consciousness of your guardian. She has copper red hair, long braids, a lovely Venusian face, a white gown belted with jade squares. She wears gold slippers. <laughs> you can that, talk, huh? That'll look lovely with the jade squares. The slippers? Yes. You don't know how Are lovely. <laughs> Gorgeous. You can talk to her and audibly hear her voice above all others. You can do automatic writing whenever you wish. You do not care what comes out on the paper when your guardian dictates. You do not masturbate. Yeah, may I stop you right there? Hmm? Earlier, um, you seemed to indicate that there was nothing wrong with masturbation. Uh-huh. <laughs> but now, just, just a few affirmations later, uh -huh. you're telling yourself you don't masturbate? As I explained to you before, I've got a strict policy when I write. I never, not even one time, go back and reread something I've written. <laughs> I will not do it. And sometimes it gets me into trouble. Sometimes I'll have an affirmation where I explicitly say everyone masturbates. Less than a minute later. Another one where I claim that I do not. But you know what, I'm not like everyone. Those You're two things can be simultaneously not. true. You're certainly not like everyone. You do not know anger. Your patience is infinite. And just for fun, snakes are not dangerous to you. There are no snakes in the bottom of your bed. <laughs> Those are all things I find helpful to tell myself. <laughs> now, how often do you tell yourself both of the, uh, the masturbation uh, affirmations? Well, they're, tell you what, they're both helpful to say, you know, uh, masturbation is not going to make you insane. Everybody masturbates. It's perfectly normal if you have done it, but you don't. <laughs> you understand? I, d I don't. Well, a lot of the time people don't understand the things that I'm saying, but it's not a deficit in my understandableness, but in your understandingness. <laughs> right? This is the way that I feel. Hoping we, hoping we would get some more custom L. Ron Hubbard words. Understandableness? Yes. Well, don't get interbulated by my confront, but <laughs> understandableness is a long-standing word from the Greek understand and the Romanableness. <laughs> um, we didn't get into this uh, last time, but oh. um, you, you spent some time in Hollywood. I did, yes. And uh, you worked on some film scripts in the 30s. That's correct. Uh, uh, I wrote Gone with the Wind and Gone with the Wind 2. Oh, that's not in my notes. I, I'm not familiar with 
Gone with the Wind 2. Yeah. What, what happens it in It was that? a direct-to-video uh, sequel. <laughs> so was this, was this fair, fairly recently? Nope, it was in the 30s. <laughs> I had predicted uh, home video at that time. <laughs> it was way ahead. So you predicted home video, so there was a direct-to-video sequel, but sadly, the medium did not exist yet. Very sad indeed. Uh, you, you say that you wrote on, uh, you did some writing on John Ford's Stagecoach. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that about? Stagecoach? Yes. Oh, it's about a stagecoach. <laughs> and it's about cowboys and stuff, and uh, people riding on a stagecoach, and cowboys and western times. And I did write that one. And uh, I had the idea that uh, it shouldn't all be on a stagecoach. <laughs> Please go on. I said some of it should be outside of it and some of it on horses and things like that. And, and let's get a look at the outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, they took, you, they took your notes to heart. Oh, good. And a, lot, a lot of that is featured in the film Stagecoach. Oh, good. You do get a good look at the outside. Yeah. Some of it does take place not inside the stage. Yep, yep. Yes. I had uh, D.W. Griffith tell me that I was the only screenwriter, period. <laughs> what, what do you suppose he meant by that? He meant that everyone else was not truly writing for the screen. That it was only I who understood the medium. Well, now, why didn't you do more of it if, if, uh, if you, were, you were born to this, uh, this, this uh, style of writing? I had more important work to do in the world, H.G., much more important work. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, one of these things was uh, you, you married to uh, Margaret Grubb, called Polly. Uh, you had yeah. two children with, uh, with Polly. Sure. Uh, Lafayette Ronald Jr. Nibs. You were nicknamed Nibs. Little Nibs. <laughs> That's right. Cute boy. Hard to abandon. You, you, it, was, it was difficult to abandon? He was adorable. Yep. Tough to abandon that one. Yeah, because he was so cute. Yeah. <laughs> little, little nibs. But, uh, but where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, it's got to be done. <laughs> uh, you had also had a daughter, Catherine. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the time, uh, you, were, you were doing uh, not quite well financially. At the time that we got married. Yes, yeah, and right. you had the kids yeah. and, the, and the family uh, was not doing quite, quite oh, so well. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah. Um, and you spent a, a, an increasing amount of time in New York. You were working out of a hotel room. And uh, no. Polly suspected you were carrying on affairs with other women. In Can this you room. believe that? <laughs> well, is it true? Well, yes. <laughs> but can you believe she thought that of me? <laughs> but, but why? What kind of a wife thinks that of her husband? Well, but it was true. Yes. So why, I mean... But what right did she have to suspect me of it? <laughs> well, perhaps you were, perhaps you were careless uh, with, with these affairs, and it was obvious that this was going on. Well, I think I took pretty good care of them. Uh, yeah. I only a couple of times wrote letters to a mistress that I accidentally sent to Polly. <laughs> you said to your own home? Yeah. That seems like a pretty big mistake, LRH. Well... When you're writing your own address... Right. In, in, the, in the address section, uh -huh. you have to get through three lines. You don't understand how many letters people wrote in those days. and uh, Every one of them needed an envelope. <laughs> they understand how mistakes can happen. 
But still, still, she received a letter from me to another woman professing my uh, love and all the sexy talk, and she believes I am having an affair. Her husband? Disgusting. <laughs> How uh, dare she? Also, in, in February 1940, uh, you joined the Explorers Club. Oh, sure I did. Well, I was an explorer. <laughs> I had been all around the world, expeditions and whatnot, and I had explored via ships and also by air. I'd been an air explorer. And it kind of, yep, I've been all over. I'd, I'd, I'd discovered continents that were not previously known. <laughs> uh, apart from the seven that we're aware of? Oh, my friend, there's many more than seven continents. <laughs> it, j- I, it, how many more would you say? I, I discovered uh, 38 continents here on Earth alone during my time as an explorer, and I submitted every one of them to the Explorers Club, and uh, as far as I know, they're still under review. There's a bureaucracy to get through there. Well, what's the closest of these unknown continents to where we are right now? Right off the coast of California down there, uh, San Diego. You go out you'd less than a, just a few miles, you're hitting another continent. What, what, what is this continent I called it called? Catalina. <laughs> that's, that's, now, I suppose now we That's what the natives were calling it, actually. Certainly. I just, I, it, perhaps we should get into the definition of what is a continent. You, you can get into all the definitions you want. I call things what I want to call them. That's an important part of, uh, of, of what it means to be LRH. Certainly. If it's, if it's true for you... Yes! ...then it is true. There you go. All right. Um, let's talk about your occult your, your occult involvement. Um, oh. After the war, you came back from the war. Yeah. Uh, it was a very turbulent period in your life. Yeah. Um, and by your own account, you said you were quote abandoned by family and friends as a supposedly hopeless cripple and a probable burden upon them for the rest of my days. Aha. Uh-huh. Now your daughter has a different version of this idea. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you, you, your wife did not want to uproot the family uh, from where you were living, uh, everyone was living in Bremerton, Washington, yeah. to join you in California, mm. and uh, you decided to stay in California. Well, I liked it. <laughs> yes. I liked it in California, and I said, come down here, and she said no, and I said, go oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> came down here, that's all. How is that different? From, how are our accounts different? Well, you, you made it seem as if uh, uh, your family abandoned you because you were injured in the war. Yeah. That's not what you just said, though. They, they abandoned me when they didn't do what I said. So it's a sort of backdoor abandonment. Yeah. Yes, a, a passive abandonment. You gotta do everything I tell you to do, and if not, well, you're abandoning a war hero. Well, <laughs> So now you find yourself in August 1945. You're living in the, uh, the Pasadena mansion of uh, Jack Whiteside Parsons. That's right. He was a, uh, a, a rocket propulsion researcher. Oh, he created uh, solid rocket fuel. And he bought a house out there in Pasadena. He called it the Parsonage. Isn't that fun? Because his last name is Parsons. <laughs> Certainly. And he so says... Loads uh, of fun. Yeah. And he says, yeah, come live here if you're a bohemian and you don't believe in God. Yes. Uh, yeah, he, he let rooms in the house... To tenants he specified should be atheists and those of a bohemian disposition. Yeah, that's right. And Heinlein and I were hanging out all the time. You know Robert Heinlein. We're hanging out. And he knew Parsons. And he says, you got to go over there. This guy throws some parties. 
So I went over there, and sure enough, it was a ton of fun. And this guy Parsons, I mean, he was into some wild stuff, and he really believed in free love. You know, I don't know if you have free love now. What that is is that if a guy says to a girl, I want to have sex with you, she's got to do it. <laughs> no my, matter what. My, my, my dear sir, I will have you know that I was espousing free love in my day. Well, Good before for you. you. I, I had... I, my definition of it didn't quite end the same way as your definition of it. Did. That's what it is, pal. But in any event, my wife was very unhappy with it. Did she abandon you? <laughs> no, she didn't abandon me, not even passively. Oh. We, we came to an understanding. Now, that's, we're not here to talk about me. But um, I mean, he was so into free love and talked about it all the time. I said, well, what about if I fuck your girlfriend? How, how do you like that? And I did, and he didn't. However, you did, you did collaborate. You had a little collabo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something called uh, Babylon Working. It was a yeah. sex magic ritual. And the idea was you were going to summon an incarnation of Babylon, the supreme Thelemite goddess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. We were trying to make a moon child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you did this over several nights in uh, 1946 in order yeah. to summon an elemental yeah. Who would then participate in further sex magic? Well, sure. If you're gonna, if you got, as long as you got the elemental there, you <laughs> might as well get involved in sex magic. But so now the, so you have to do this original sex magic ritual to make to conjure the elemental. Absolutely. And then once the elemental is there, then you're going to have further. I, I would, I would assume enhanced sex magic. Are you kidding me? Sex magic with an elemental? <laughs> now that's sex magic. <laughs> Parsons was into Aleister Crowley business and all this, and he was into the, uh, the uh, Ordo Templi Orientis and uh, Astron Argon and uh, the OTO, Thelema yes. and whatnot and all. And Parsons was into all that. And, he, and, and, I, and uh, yeah, he was all into sex magic. And sex magic is great. It's really just sex. <laughs> it's in light, light on the magic. <laughs> well, the magic is what you bring to it, you know. It's got all the magic you bring to it. You know, that is true, the really. Sex is for everyone. Stuff. Yeah. I was mostly interested in the sex. Sometimes Parsons would jerk off on a piece of parchment paper. And that's his business. But I was... <laughs> there were incantations and whatnot, and, you know, but it was, you know, it was, it was sex. Now, there's some we had a great there's, time. There's some version of this that has you being uh, uh, the fellow that breaks up occultism in America. Uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is a statement uh, by you. You wrote this statement in 1969. Ah. Hubbard broke up black magic in America. L. Ron Hubbard was still an officer of the U.S. Navy because he was well known as a writer and a philosopher and had friends amongst the physicists. He was sent in to handle the situation. Yeah. He went to live at the house and investigated the black magic rites and the general situation and found them very bad. Yeah. Here's the deal. I went out there to the parsonage. He was practicing sex magic, just sex going on all the time. I got heavily involved in that, and I started fucking his girlfriend, as I mentioned. And then at a certain point, I says, I'm going to take off with your girlfriend, and why don't you sell the house, Parsons, and give me $20,000 so that I can spread your message down in Florida. And he says, okay. And I took off with his girlfriend, and we ended up getting married and so on and so forth. The reason I did all of it is because the CIA asked me to break up black magic. <laughs> Not because I wanted to fuck a lot. 
or steal money from a guy. May, may I ask, uh, Commodore, how did the CIA uh, approach you for this uh, very delicate mission? Great question. Thank you. As you know, I uh, am to this day the most highly regarded and uh, decorated naval officer in the history of seagoing vessels <laughs> throughout time immemorial in any galaxy. That's just a fact. Now, a lot of my commendations are secret commendations. You can't look them up, they're not on army files because these were- Did you say obby files? <laughs> That's right. Some of my operations for the Navy were so secret that they were through the army. But the, even the army doesn't keep files on them. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought you said <laughs> Arby files. Oh, I see. That somehow Arby's was involved. Arby's has a complete collection of my files. <laughs> from the Navy and the Army. And the Quarmy, which is a... The <laughs> what? The Quarmy, my Quarmy? That is a secret organization. <laughs> I shouldn't have said a word about is it. it. With, is it with a Q? The Quarmy? A Q, but not a U. <laughs> If this word were unleashed upon the public, the impact it would have on Scrabble alone <laughs> would be profound and felt for generations. No one should speak of Kwame again. But anyway, <laughs> because I had done, uh, you know, I'll tell you something I did in the Navy. I, can, I, I feel I can tell it now. You can say whatever you wish. The Japanese <laughs> had developed a weapon that when detonated would wipe out everyone who wasn't a Japanese. You developed a weapon yep. that would wipe out everyone who wasn't a Japanese? That's right, what, is that what I, no, yeah, that's what I mean. The Japanese developed a weapon that would wipe out all non-Japaneses. Right, if I'm not much mistaken, yeah. you did just say that you developed that weapon, am I wrong? I hope you're wrong, because I didn't do it. The Japanese developed it, my friend, but so what I That makes did, more sense. Sir. Yeah. What I did was I sunk the submarine that the weapon was on. I sunk it off the coast of uh, California, and uh, for that, I was uh, awarded the Medal of Wonderful, <laughs> which is a Kwame medal. Anyhow. Because of that and other deeds of valor, the CIA approached me and we had a meeting on a hot air balloon because that is the only uh, vessel that is incapable of being monitored by uh, espionage. And so why can espionage agents not monitor a hot air balloon? Have you ever tried it? Well, no, no, but I, but it I am can't not, be done. I am not, <laughs> but, but why? Because it, it exists above the sonorous level. Anyhow, <laughs> it hovers between, you, you, can, you can monitor things on land, you can monitor things up in, where airplanes travel, but in between, you can't. And, <laughs> And before you start making those faces, I happen to be a nuclear physicist. <laughs> Anyhow, we had our meeting there and they asked me to break up black magic in America and I says, I can't, I can't, I can't. And they said, please run. I said, all right. 
Why couldn't you? What, what, was the, what was the resistance to doing this? Oh, that just makes it a better story. <laughs> That's debatable. Um, in 1946... 1946! You, 1946. <laughs> you, uh, you became a bigamist. You married Sarah. Oh, stop it. You married <laughs> You married... I don't like this, this phony book of yours. It's well, got it's... rude things in it. Do you deny that this happened? Well, look, you didn't get divorced in those days. There was a stigma, but it was great. It was fun to get married. <laughs> so sometimes you married one and you hadn't divorced the other one. Nothing wrong. Don't do throwing words around about it. Well, uh, let's just say you married again. Yeah. Whilst still married... Already. Okay, fine. And you married uh, Sarah, the elemental from the uh, <laughs> sex magic ritual. Uh huh. So that was a success. Yes! <laughs> well done, you. I'm married to an elemental. <laughs> Those were the salad days. But you, your wife, uh, Polly, did not learn until one year later that you were married to this other woman as well. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's right out of Dear Abby. I, I don't follow, I'm sorry. You, I mean, I'm sorry, this is the basic rules of etiquette. You have one year to inform your pre-existing spouse <laughs> of your new spouse. I mean, that's standard etiquette. So is, is, and, is that how she found out? You revealed to her, surprise, I've married a sex elemental. <laughs> I waited the standard year. Certainly. And I went down to the stationery store and I got printed up the, you know, customary stationery for forming a previous wife of a new wife and I took care of it that way oh it's not a card you can buy at the drugstore well you probably could but I thought it'd be classier to design one myself <laughs> certainly um, after you married uh, Sarah you settled in uh, Laguna Beach beautiful and uh, you <laughs> <laughs> little shout out to Laguna Beach Oh, yeah. Tony's Crab Shack. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and you, uh, you resumed your fiction writing. Um, you were getting a small disability allowance from, uh, from uh, being a war veteran. Um, a war hero. I, I, I don't know that they classify it as for being a war hero, you get this. Oh, I received hero payments, yes. Oh, hero? So it was on the check. Yeah. It said hero payments. It's a branch of the Veterans Administration, specifically for heroes. <laughs> well, appa <laughs> apparently it wasn't enough because you, you wrote to them repeatedly asking for more money. You don't have that in there. <laughs> it says oh. it right here. You wrote, in 1947, oh, you, wrote, stop you wrote to the Veterans Administration. <laughs> now look, you agreed to this interview. You can't continue. I didn't know you were going to hurt my feelings. You can't continue. <laughs> Last time you seemed to roll with it much better. It, it, it didn't seem to bother you that I was uh, bringing these things up. This time it seems you're getting you're getting very upset. I, I don't. Yeah. Need, I don't. Oh. <laughs> no, no. I don't like to have my feelings hurt. No, I, I don't. I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but. Uh, but no, what are you doing? <laughs> This is how he does it, do you see? This is how he does it. How I do what? Get my heart broken? <laughs> I guess you're gonna read it. 
you wrote in October 1947, you wrote to the VA and you said, after trying and failing for two years to regain my equilibrium in civil life, I am utterly unable to approach anything like my own competence. My last physician informed me that it might be very helpful if I were to be examined and perhaps treated psychiatrically or even by a psychoanalyst. Toward the end of my service, I avoided, out of pride, any mental examinations, hoping that time would balance a mind which I had every reason to suppose was seriously affected. I cannot account for nor rise above long periods of moroseness and suicidal inclinations and have newly come to realize that I must first triumph above this before I can hope to rehabilitate myself at all. A beautifully written letter. <laughs> well, but quite, well, yeah. quite damning for a fellow who has espoused nothing but venom and hatred for the psychiatric uh, profession. Would it surprise you to learn? that the purpose of that letter was that I was on a secret mission for the Quarmy <laughs> to bring down psychiatry from within. By asking them for more money. Yep, by getting myself in proximity to a government psychiatrist, a psychiatrist embedded in the government, and through that, to work that angle and to bring down psychiatry. Can you walk us through your, uh, your plan? Uh, once you got in with the psychiatrist, yes. what was the plan of action? I was going to uh, uh, fuck his girlfriend. <laughs> Convince him to sell his house and take the money. <laughs> Tried and true plan. And if, uh, if it had been successful, then psychiatry would be as prevalent in American society as black magic is today. Sadly, that is not the case. <laughs> it was around 1948 that you began the first public mentions of what was to become Dianetics. That's right. Um, in January 1949, you wrote, uh, you were working on a book of psychology, your own book of psychology, about the cause and cure of nervous tension. Uh-huh. And you were going to call that uh, the Dark Sword Excalibur or Science of the Mind. Well, Excalibur, we know that ended up being something else. Um, yeah. Anybody that read it jumped out a yes, window. It's, it's been, it, it has been established that both anyone who read it jumped out the window and yeah. also that it was never written. <laughs> Whichever one of those sounds truer to you should be your truth. Now, uh, you, there were two people that, uh, that were there at the beginning of Dianetics. Uh, John W. Campbell, your editor. My editor. Um, and he was uh, very receptive to, the, uh, to these new ideas because of, uh, he was fascinated with uh, fringe psychologies and psionics, uh, sort of psychic uh, abilities. Um, and uh, he recruited a fellow named Dr. Joseph Winter uh, to help you develop uh, the ideas of Dianetics. Now, yeah. later on... Uh, uh, this, uh, Winter didn't do anything, by the way. It was all, what's that? It was all, yeah, Winter didn't do anything. Just got a bunch of free lunches out of it. <laughs> well, it certainly. But, but then this, this led to uh, a dispute between the two of you as to who owned the, uh, the ideas of Dianetics, who had the rights to Dianetics. What a quack. <laughs> you, you calling him a quack? Yeah, he's a real quack. He had no idea what he was doing. I came up with all of the ideas of Dianetics. I came up with all of them. Can you want me to explain it to you? Uh, certainly. I would love to hear you explain Dianetics. Here's what Freud did. You're familiar with Freud? Sigmund Freud, yes. Everybody familiar with Freud. What Freud did 
As he said that, uh, you, you know, you might have conditions such as irrational anger or depression or whatnot, and it might be caused by uh, previous experiences in your life that if we talk them through, we can, uh, we can take away the power of those previous experiences and we, we can assign the anger appropriately and, and whatnot and alleviate the depression. What I said was, he's not ambitious enough, both in terms of what he's able to cure, okay, or in terms of where we're going to find those memories. Now, I, Dianetics, he can cure whatever he, he can cure. Dianetics can cure asthma, blindness, uh, nervous tension, uh, homosexuality, uh, 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 being stupid. It can, it can, it can raise your IQ. Uh, and uh, all, all, kind, all manner of diseases can be cured through Dianetics, and the way that we do it is we say, we go back and, we, and we, I talk them through, I put them in a Dianetic reverie. And I talk them through, and some of the memories that they're uncovering are things that they don't remember remembering because they happened to them right after they were born or during an unconscious state. Even, during, even while we're asleep and when we're unconscious, our mind is recording experiences. And so our, what we do through Dianetics is we, is we find those. And the patient has no way of knowing whether these memories are real or not <laughs> because they were unconscious when they happened. And I say, well, that's the memory that's causing this problem. And let's talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And then, and now you're healed. But, but, but there was a part in there where you, you, you seem to indicate that some of the memories were false. No, <laughs> not at all. I would never say that. Only that the patient doesn't know whether they're real or not. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. That's the magic. Right, let's, but... <laughs> Where, where are these? I don't understand the benefit. Here's what you do. Let's imagine you're in a Dianetic reverie right now. Okay? Certainly. I would know it by a flutter of the eyelids. And I would say to you, I'd even say, once I see a flutter of the eyelids, you'll be in a Dianetic reverie. And I know right away whether I've got somebody who's willing to play along. <laughs> and then I'll say something like, you know, remember for me, a moment right after you were born, moments after you were born, when someone said something that might have led to this feeling you're having. And then, you know, it'd be good if you did it. <laughs> so, so let's say, let's say I, I am experiencing nervous tension. Yeah, yeah. And you're asking me, try to remember, grown person, yes. uh, something that happened, something that someone said. Yeah. In the immediately, immediately, after, immediately your birth. after your something birth, something the doctor said, or something the father led, said, that may have led to that. But can you think of an example of a thing that something something might be said at uh -huh. the time of your birth yeah. that would affect you later on? Uh, you know, like the doctor might have said, oh, "Things are going to go shitty for this guy." <laughs> Talking of the newborn baby, I'm just saying, as a for instance, yeah, and then that would give you nervous tension for the rest of your life. <laughs> How See how it's better than the Freud and psychoanalysis? Because in that, it's got to be something that you rem really remember. <laughs> the memories must be genuine. <laughs> well, you, you know, I mean, it has to be a memory that you remember. That's you, very limiting. It, it's, you, in, in Freudian analysis, yeah. uh, it, it requires one to have genuine recollections of things that actually happened. There you go. Now, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Uh, the reviews of Dianetics were in. Ah, yeah. 
Scientific American said that your book contained more promises and less evidence per page than any publication since the invention of printing. <laughs> Impossible to measure that. <laughs> Fair play Can't be to measured. you. Fair play My to letter you. to them was, oh, really? Show me the statistical analysis of everything ever written since the beginning of printing. Promises versus whatever the other word was. <laughs> Let's put Gutenberg up on the stand. See what he has to say for himself. We could do it, too. One of the members of the Sea Org had been Gutenberg in a previous life. That's true. <laughs> the New Republic called Dianetics a bold and immodest mixture of complete nonsense and perfectly reasonable common sense. Thank you. Taken from log-acknowledged findings and disguised and distorted by a crazy, newly invented terminology. Perfectly reasonable common sense. <laughs> that was the poll quote we used on the jacket. <laughs> Now, some of your, uh, your, fellow, some of your colleagues uh, didn't look too kindly on the book as well. Isaac Asimov uh, uh -huh. considered it gibberish. Uh-huh. And uh, Jack Williamson uh, called it, quote, a lunatic revision of Freudian psychology. Now, did this hurt you that... I take it as a compliment. It, it didn't bother you at all that your fellow writers weren't, uh, weren't enjoying your writing? Uh, no, well, I mean, have you ever heard of a thing called professional jealousy? Here were guys slaving away in the salt mines of science fiction. And I had truly, and I don't, this is, listen, this is no fooling around. I had created something that rivaled the invention of fire <laughs> and far surpassed the invention of the wheel or macaroni. <laughs> well, well, was the second one macaroni? Macaroni. These are the three big inventions of humanity. Fire. Fire. The wheel. And the wheel. Macaroni? Macaroni. Well, think about it. You can eat it. And you can use it for art projects. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dual use. You can make a necklace out of it. So you it was very was... difficult for me, by the way, to concede that Dianetics merely rivaled fire. <laughs> like to say it was even, it eclipses fire. I think it might. But I didn't want people to make fun of me for a bold claim like that. <laughs> so I said it rivals fire. I think it's better than fire. <laughs> Truth be told, I do. Um, professional jealousy is a, is a terrible thing, and you feel that these fellows were jealous of you. Yeah, absolutely, and of course the psychiatrists, uh, well, I mean, you know, I don't even want to get started on the psychiatrists. You know, it was, the, of course, I, the psychiatrists. I actually very much would like to get you started on psychiatrists. The psychiatrists hated Dianetics because they've got a vested interest in people, keeping people sick, at the very least. Now, that's the least thing you can say about what psychiatry was up to with Dianetics. Now, of course, as we later learned, as I discovered later through many auditing sessions on myself with the e-meter, it went far beyond that, and the psychiatrists have been the enemies of humanity for quadrillions of years throughout the cosmos. Many people, uh, during, the, during the, uh, the selling of, uh, of Dianetics, uh, spreading the word about it, if you will, if you yeah. use for a more uh, benign uh, uh, way of describing it, uh, you were very active in that. And uh, you, you were going on the lecture circuit, you were uh, training auditors, and uh, the people around you at this time, um, they spoke of uh, how impressive your, uh, your, your personal charisma was. Yes! <laughs> 
You really charmed people. Absolutely. Um, and everyone agreed to this. Isaac Asimov, uh, in his autobiography, uh, said at a dinner party, uh, uh, there was uh, himself, there was Robert Heinlein, uh, a few other writers and their wives all sat as, quote, all sat as quietly as pussycats and listened to Hubbard. He told tales with perfect aplomb yes. and in complete paragraphs. Sure. Sometimes I'd even, just to amuse my guests, I'd speak aloud the punctuation. <laughs> in, Exclamation like, point. <laughs> period, comma, very impressive. So, uh, so not a sort of Victor Borgia where you would make noises indicating the punctuation. <laughs> Not at all like that. <laughs> well, you're a fan of Victor Borgia. I'd say, well, Victor Borgia uh, was well, not only one of the finest piano players of all time, <laughs> but uh, a comedian on the level of Lucille Ball and Charles Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something like what you expected? <laughs> I, I, I just wanted your honest opinion. All right, yeah, that's well, what I really stand, feel. Where do you stand on Senor Wences? Oh, Senor Wences was... Uh, <laughs> A, uh, a liar, a communist, <laughs> a, a thief, and a psychiatrist. Senior <laughs> Winters was a psychiatrist? I believe so. What about uh, husband and wife mime duo Shields and Yarnell? <laughs> Shields was all right, but Yarnell was a whore and a lesbian. And finally, Mumenshans. Oh, I like Mumenshans a lot, certainly. <laughs> um, Dianetics uh, suffered a huge setback, August 1950. Oh, yeah. You did a presentation before an audience of 6,000 oh, at the Shrine Auditorium. Stop <laughs> Now, no, I forbid this. I forbid this. You mustn't, you mustn't be taken in by the, by the quivering lower lip of this... Commodore, Commodore. Yes. Now you're you're employing some of your famous charisma. I sure am. But I think I think. I think well, of course, made, I'm charismatic. I'm I, a supreme being. I think you made of stuffed into the body of a man. I think you made it's of. Not always easy. Well, yes. then I, as a supreme being, I think you can take a, a few uh, 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 mentions of some setbacks you've suffered. I think you made of sterner stuff than this. Yeah. Shrine Auditorium, six thousand people. Yeah. It was a terrible failure. Pretty good crowd. <laughs> Pretty good crowd. Yeah. You introduced a clear. This is someone who's risen up through the ranks. We had, we had expunged all of the engrams from her by recalling all of her unconscious memories. Yes, and her we name have, was we Sonia. Had, we, Sonia. Uh, we was had G, right? and what, what you, can do, you, can, you can have perfect recall, and you can, you can attain superpowers if you're clear. And we had cleared this girl. We had. Now... Here's, here's where it all goes pear-shaped. Uh, you said she had perfect recall. Uh, you told the crowd, as a result of uh, her Dianetic therapy, she now possesses perfect recall. However... Right. There was a demonstration. Well, that was the mistake. She... <laughs> you asked her to recall some, uh, some formulas, some physics formulas. She was majoring in the subject at the time. Yeah. And she could not uh, recall a single one. Uh-huh. Then... You turned your back and you said, what color's my tie? And she couldn't remember. <laughs> At this point, a large portion of the audience got up and left. And I wish that they had not. <laughs> For if they had stayed, they would have uh, seen something truly remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is the, my revealing to the audience that she was a secret psychiatrist <laughs> who had infiltrated uh, Dianetics much as I had infiltrated black magic uh, to make a monkey out of me at the Shrine Auditorium. And she was harshly punished. I'll tell you that right now. Well, now, you, so you didn't realize she was a secret psychiatrist until the very end when she couldn't do the things that you had asked her to do. That's right. And did she say, aha, I'm a secret psychiatrist this whole time? It was painfully obvious. She didn't need to. Pain painfully obvious when she failed the memory yes, test. Yes, absolutely. But was because she we had cleared her. But now, but now, but now, may I ask, was she trying to pass the memory tests and failed them? Or was she actively uh, subverting the memory test by pretending to fail them? That one. <laughs> she knew what color my tie was. We'd cleared her. I swear that we had. Uh, through a, we cleared all of her engrams. She was a supreme human being. Every bit as supreme as I was. But she was using it for evil purposes. And there, right in front of everybody in the Shrine Auditorium, she willfully lied about the color of my tie to bring down Dianetics. What a cruel, cruel thing to do. To, to attain all the powers the gifts of Dianetics, and then to try and destroy it so that no one else could have those powers! M M Mr. Hubbard, may I say... That was the scheme! May, may, may I say... I've come up with it! That was the scheme! <laughs> so that she alone could have the powers and nobody else could, and she could rule. And That's what, what, and what, what to. happened to her? She, well, we punished her. In, in what manner? Well, we locked her in a basement <laughs> for 18 months and uh, stuff like that. Took her kids away. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> Um, That's a good thing to do. If you're going to run an organization, take people's kids away. Where's he going? Does it, does it matter the type of organization? Or any kind of an organization. Any successful organization. Step one, take their kids away. <laughs> because somebody who says, yeah, okay, I can see the logic in that, will do anything. I suppose that's true. Yeah. I suppose that's true. You really do weed out the true believers from uh, the casual uh, uh, cult member. Precisely yes, right. Certainly. Um, your marriage to Sarah, the, uh, the sex elemental, <laughs> collapsed. Um, and you began an affair with your 20-year-old public relations assistant in late 1950. Beautiful. Uh, while Sarah started a relationship with Dianetics auditor Miles Hollister. Yeah. Now, you secretly denounced the couple... Yeah. To the FBI. I wrote, I, I read an amount to the 1951, FBI. 1951, you, you said that they were communist infiltrators. Yep, and so they were. <laughs> well, if only the FBI had taken you seriously, because they did not. And an agent noted in his, in, in, he annotated his correspondence with you with the comment, quote, appears mental, end quote. <laughs> The FBI designated me as mental? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, this, certainly this agent, this that particular was the terminology fellow? he used. Well, you know, we don't know if in the parlance of the FBI that's a high compliment. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, did anything ever happen to, uh, to Sarah and, uh, and Miles? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, did the FBI uh, arrest them? Did they incarcerate them in any way? I believe that they murdered them and replaced them with lookalikes. <laughs> Because someone who was mental had told them that they were communist infiltrators, and in their world, mental is the highest compliment. I'm only assuming. <laughs> Safe assumption. Yeah. Um, 
Dianetics led to Scientology. It did, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which still, uh, which still is, uh, is, is. There were several reasons, H.G., for going uh, for t turning di Dianetics into Scientology. Uh, a lot of reasons, and, and 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 evolving it into a religion, which is what we did. A lot yes. of great reasons for well, that. One of the reasons was you were in danger of uh, losing the rights to uh, to Dianetics, and so you. That's right. Needed to start your own thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just well, to be safe. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of reasons. Well, another thing is uh, psychotherapy. You get to the end, you say, I'm healed, and you're done. Not the case with a religion. <laughs> you keep at it forever for looking for salvation, right? So that's helpful. There's uh, tax protections. It's nice not to pay taxes. Legal protections. Here's a for instance. Uh, the Catholic Church, do they pay their priests and nuns a minimum wage? No, they don't. They say these are the clergy. They don't want to get paid. That's a nice thing to be able to say about the people working for you. So do, we, do, do, they, do they not get paid at all, priests who? and nuns? I don't think so. They took a vow of poverty, right? I don't know. That's how I interpreted it. We, well, so what I do is sometimes say, you're clergy. We're not paying you. Get to work. It's well, just but, nice but, to be able to do that. But, but are, you saying, are you saying the priests and nuns are walking around without cash at all? Like they, can't, they, they cannot buy a, a, a packet of gum? I hope not. I mean, what's the point of giving somebody money, right? So what are they going to do with it? Whatever they want. If I've got somebody working for me, I don't want them doing whatever they want. I want them doing what I tell them. That's common sense. <laughs> don't give people money. Now, the law says you have to, unless you say, but they're my clergy. So, so that's nice. This was a way you could have a, a workforce yeah. that you were not paying. Yes, because money is freedom. But... It, but didn't you worry, didn't you worry that not paying them, uh, it would be difficult to hold on to them? Not at all, quite the contrary. Where are you gonna go if you don't have any money? <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, what else? There was lots of reasons um, to turn it into a religion. Uh, you know, it's just more fun. You, you, because. If you're, if, if you're just a guy who came up with a good idea, people might say, oh, he's fantastic, I'll follow him. But if you're a prophet, that's a different deal. Aleister Crowley figured that out. He founded three religions. Well, now, this is a curious thing, and I don't know if a lot of people uh, know this. Yeah. Uh, at some point, you denied founding the Church of Scientology. I never founded it. You... <laughs> Some other guy did. A guy in California did. Uh, yes, Burton Farber. That's the one. Burton Farber. Now that I look at the name, is that made up? Was that you? By his mom and dad. <laughs> it wasn't you in a false mustache <laughs> saying, hello, my name is Burton Farber. What an insult. If I needed to go incognito, I'd grow a mustache. <laughs> Uh, early in, in, the, uh, in the days of uh, the Church of Scientology, they went so far as to wear the, 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 uh, 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 some of the auditors dressed as clergymen. They wore uh, clerical collars. Yeah, right. But then at a certain point, I said, ah, you know what? We can do whatever we want. Uh, you know, halter tops and go-go boots. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the girls were in. Hot pants. Yes, certainly when you were out there in the Sea Org. Oh, those were the salad days out there on the boats. You, you were attended by uh, several uh, young nubile women wearing their hot pants and their hot Well, what happened was that Britain banned us, and so did the United States, and we were under investigation in Australia and New Zealand and France. And so it seemed like a great time to hit the water. <laughs> I bought a couple of boats and uh, loaded them full of teenagers. 
and, uh, you know, fun stuff out there in the high seas. I took, I took uh, uh, grays and pinks, and uh, I'm talking pills, and uh, <laughs> I sat up there and I did some of the best thinking of my life. Well, but you, you were sort of under attack on, uh, on dry land because uh, uh, there were a lot of... Uh, the Church of Scientology was facing uh, uh, many attacks. Uh, yeah. The FBI had a lengthy file on you by this point. Oh, yeah. um, uh, police forces in a number of jurisdictions began exchanging information about Scientology. Information. Um, with, with Interpol. Uh, um, Interpol. And uh, there were prosecutions. Uh, the IRS... Uh, withdrew the uh, the Washington D.C. Uh, church's tax exemption. Yeah, the Off FDA says, uh, "Hey, you're you're making some big claims about this e-meter. You can't do that anymore." Ah, oh, fuck them. <laughs> the e-meter does everything I say it does and more. But yeah. uh, but now, the f if this is investigated by people and uh, they're saying it's patently false, it's not doing anything. Uh, how how can you refute that? By what, what? showing them clears like that woman Sonia. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we took out onto the high sea. I don't regret any of that. I'm glad all those countries banned us because we had a great time out there on the ocean. We had movie night. We made popcorn. We had a load of fun on the water, me and all those teenagers. You know what's one thing we did? One thing I realized at some point was that I have lived many times before. This is obviously not my first body. I've inhabited many different bodies before. And a lot of those bodies buried treasure. And so we would... <laughs> go all over the world and I'd send a team up there to find some of the treasure that I buried in a past life. And do you know they never found any? But I also... That's amazing. By the way, I got a beef with you, H.G. Oh, is that so? This show is called Dead Authors? Yes, that's correct. Well, I don't believe I'm dead. I've well, moved on to another body. Yeah. I have. I, you know, I, I, I dropped this body in 1986, and then I would have moved on to another body. I did a little research to try and figure out who born in 1986 I probably am. I think it might have been Lady Gaga. <laughs> or Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> or possibly the Olsen twins. <laughs> Both of them. Well, it makes a lot of sense to me that it would take two girls to house the, my spirit. <laughs> they were all born in 1986. Now, you, you've committed... Any one of them could be me. You've committed a bit of a transgression because we don't usually... It, it's frowned upon for the guests to uh, look up the details of their own demise. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, I had a little time backstage. <laughs> in truth... Dead Authors is probably a terrible name for this show. We never should have called it that. It's very confusing. <laughs> Too late to change it? Too late to change it. Oh, well. <laughs> Another thing we did out there on the high seas uh, was that we tried to conquer both Rhodesia and Morocco. Yes, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Um, what was the what was the method? Because you were looking for a, a, a safe haven. Yeah, uh, you well, to find I a, had a country, country to rule. Yes, exactly. Um, and uh, I had had experience dealing with primitives of all classes, and so uh, certainly you were pri you prime minister of the pygmies. We I was a prime that? minister of the Last pygmies time, for a time. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Mm hmm. Uh, and of course, okay, I'm conversant with shaman of all sorts. But I had, uh, yeah, I, well, what I did in order to take over Rhodesia, I sent a bunch of uh, 22 year old girls in hot pants and halter tops in there. 
to cozy up to the ruling party. There was a coup going on. They were nearly killed by jet fighters. It didn't work out, but we came real close. And then Morocco was a similar deal. Do you know that I did a thing there in Switzerland where I tried to take over the uh, mental health organization by sending a couple of 22-year-old girls in there in hot pants and halter tops uh, to open up an office of this international mental health office. And uh, to, uh, the, the idea was that they were going to take the name and then they were going to announce a plan uh, to organi organize, euthaniza organize euthanization of mentally retardeds. Mm -hmm. And then that... That plan was going to besmirch the good name of that organization worldwide. That was what we were going to do. So we had a lot of fun on the water. <laughs> but now, who, who was it that was in charge of spreading these rumors of euthanasia of the mentally handicapped people? Was it the girls in the halter tops yep. and the hot pants? That's right. They were just sort of doing a, a buzz marketing campaign where they were wandering around saying, Oh, did you hear? You make it sound silly. <laughs> dispatched a landing party of girls in hot pants and halter tops <laughs> to take down mental health. Yep. But it didn't quite work out. Even though it seems like it was a, a wonderful plan. It was a good plan. They caught on to us. Um, there were some people in the Sea Org that were concerned uh, about your behavior. You're throwing people overboard and so forth to teach them a lesson. That sort of carry sure, on. Sure, we overboarded a lot of people. Yes, certainly. <laughs> And, um, we beached a lot of people. A Sea Org member named David Mayo uh, said, We tried not to think too hard about his behavior, meaning you. It was not rational much of the time, but to even consider such a thing was a discreditable thought. Indeed. And you couldn't allow yourself to have a discreditable thought. One of the questions in a security check was, Have you ever had any unkind thoughts about LRH, which right. we've covered? Yeah. You get into very serious trouble if you had, so you tried hard not to. You tried hard not to have those thoughts. Yeah, that's a great way to run an organization. Take away the kids and actively suppress thoughts. But, but did, you ever, did, you ever feel, did you ever feel at any point during this, when, you, when, you throw, when you're putting that into the security check, have you ever had any unkind thoughts about me? Yeah. Did you ever feel as if you were losing control? What do you mean by that? Well, as if, as if you That's were the most control you could possibly have. Well, I'm, I, Ask somebody what their thoughts I mean, are. I mean, control of yourself. Did you ever feel like you were losing your grip on reality? What? No! I was in total grip of reality. What an insulting question. And what a crazy thing for that person to say. For him to suppose that my behavior is irrational just because he doesn't understand it? Once again, my understandableness and his understandingness are having a conversation. <laughs> you understand? Let's say I do. Fine. Um, you went into hiding at one point in the 70s. Um, Everybody went into hiding in the 70s. <laughs> do, do you know what? That's a fair point. Yeah! <laughs> we were all hiding. In one way or another, I was in Queens in a giant sun hat and a wig and a muumuu. <laughs> other people were wearing white tuxedos. We were all hiding. <laughs> hiding in the white tuxedo? Travolta. <laughs> um, there's still so much to cover. There's a lot to cover. Hey, did I ever tell you the story about the gal, uh, Paulette Cooper, who, the first person to write a nasty article about Scientology? It was called The Scandal of Scientology. And I says, we're not going to put up with this. We had a lot of fun disrupting her life. <laughs> we really did. 
we wrote her name and number in the men's room stalls all over her hometown, and then we, we wrote letters to 300 of her neighbors saying that she was a prostitute, a child molester, and had VD. And uh, <laughs> we got her fingerprints on some uh, pieces of paper, and then we wrote letters. <laughs> we wrote letters threatening Henry Kissinger. We just had a lot of fun. <laughs> we drove her crazy. We truly did. She went nuts. For, for the listener, Mr. Hubbard is smiling broadly. <laughs> and why not? You ever drive somebody crazy? It's hard to do. I mean, really crazy. How do you feel about the, uh, about the current uh, custodians of the Church of Science? Oh, I think they're doing a wonderful, wonderful job. That guy, David Miscavige, he was a... You're, you're a fan? Sure, I think he's great. He was one of my messengers early in the day, a nice kid. We cured him of his asthma. Go ahead, try to give him an asthma attack. He won't have one. <laughs> What, what are the methods to give one an asthma attack? Well, make them run real fast and around pollen. <laughs> he can run all day around pollen. <laughs> I want to tell you about Operation Snow White. Do we have time for that? Oh, yes, of course we do. This was uh, the greatest, they've called this the greatest domestic espionage effort of all time. I had this plan, I says, there's unflattering files on Scientology and government agencies all over the world. We've got to infiltrate them. I said 500 people to 130 uh, government agencies all around the world. Germany was grumpy, and so on and so forth, the dwarves. And, uh... <laughs> Who, which country was Sneezy? Sneezy was Switzerland, of course. <laughs> Anyway, it is the sneeziest country. Yeah, and we destroyed files. We just we just wiped out files. Government agencies all over the world. <laughs> How many religions think to do a thing like that? Why was it called Operation Snow White? Because I had a I, at that time I had a feeling that there was only going to be seven countries that were evil against us. Turned out we had to move on to the mirror and the apple. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scientology uh, today uh, uh, reveres you. Um, uh, you are uh, you are their their hero. You are the uh, uh, the figurehead of the religion to this day. Sure. Uh, often you are referred to simply as Source. Yeah. Um, and uh, the your name and signature are official trademarks of the Religious Technology Center, established in 1982. Just to control like and oversee Disney. the... So, sorry? Huh? Well, that's Disney's deal. <laughs> What's that? That's how it is with Walt Disney, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, does that, does that please you? You got the same... You got the Disney deal? Oh, I think he's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're a fan of Walt oh, Disney. A real big fan of Walt. We targeted him to be a Scientologist. Hmm. Yeah, he didn't want to join. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> That would, would you, do you think you would have written a cartoon, uh, a Walt Disney picture? Well, that was what I wanted, because I saw what he did with the war effort. and he was, His cartoons really moved public opinion on the war effort, and I thought if we could get him making nothing but cartoons about Scientology, that would be fantastic. Get that mouse out there on an E-meter. <laughs> um, well, the, the RTC is and the... In an uh, session with the duck. Go ahead. An auditing session with Donald Duck? I'm saying Mickey Mouse is auditing Donald Duck. Imagine the comic scenarios. They write themselves. Well, he's, he's certainly, Donald Duck's certainly very angry. That's he's right. obviously got a lot Full of problems. Full of engrams and thetans, Donald Duck. <laughs> 
I hope I hope people will think about that the next time they see <laughs> next time you see Donald an image Duck, of Donald Duck. He's this, full of engrams and thetans. Try to imagine all the thetans raging, fighting for control within Donald Duck. <laughs> Well, you'd be happy to know the RTC is the central organization within Scientology's uh, uh, corporate hierarchy, and has put much effort into rechecking the accuracy of all Scientology publications to, quote, ensure the availability of the pure, unadulterated writings of Mr. Hubbard to the coming generations. Fantastic. What does that mean? Uh, that means there's an organization that's yeah. making sure yeah. that uh, everything that you have said right. is treated as if it is uh, absolute sacrosanct fact Okay. Uh, so that new generations uh, will have uh, little reason to go uh, dig up other facts about you that may not uh, uh, comply with uh, the Hot facts. Damn, I like that. <laughs> I thought you might. That's a great idea. Get in there and sculpt the narrative and say, this is it. That's... Absolutely. That's what you got to do. It's very much happening. A thing that you might not be aware of, a lot of people in Scientology, uh -huh. uh, the people that leave the church... Uh, Why would they do that? It all seems to be... It, it, this is Many stories start with, uh, one day I looked on the internet. <laughs> what amazes me is that they yeah. persisted it for such a long time. <laughs> such a long time that when they're joining the church, I guess people say, well, well listen, whatever you do, don't look on the internet. You're damn You'll right. You'll just see a bunch You're of lies. Right. You'll just see a bunch of lies. There's nothing but suppressive people out there on the internet. The internet is a gigantic worldwide web of suppressives. And you've got to avoid it, or because it, and it's nothing. It's run by psychiatrists. In, intergalactic psychiatrists are, have set up the internet and are running it to destroy us, to destroy humanity. Right. Um, we, we just have time. Right is right. Yes. We just have time for some questions from Twitter. Before we get into Twitter, that, this is the worst. Yeah. We <laughs> Twitter is the worst part of the whole thing. I agree with you there. Um, before, here, here, we've got common cause. Before we get into that, though. Yeah. What? I just want to ask you, just point blank. Oh. It's all bullshit, right? <laughs> no. You can't blame me for trying. No, it's all real. It's all absolutely. Listen, I've got a guardian angel. Her name is the Empress. And now, is this the one with the, the Venusian face? With the beautiful Venusian face. <laughs> she's wearing the gold slippers and the, the gown with the jade square. That's right, you've got it. And she's beautiful, the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And I can do automatic writing and, and, I, and she's dictating it. And it's all coming from her. Every word of it is true. And some of the parts are, your, you know, you can be, make your own truth. You can apply your own truth to it if it's true. You can decide whether it's true or not, right? <laughs> so no, it's not bullshit. Some of it is, but a lot of it's not. <laughs> now, let me just ask the people that applauded uh, for Twitter being the worst part. Did you mean the worst part of the podcast when we asked the, the questions from Twitter? Or did you mean Twitter in general? That's very insecure. <laughs> well, here, here's, here's why I ask. Here's why I ask. People like the podcast. Here's, no, here's, here's why I ask. Here's... Very kind. Uh, well, I, I wasn't fishing, but I like what I caught. Um, the reason I ask is, what a pain in the ass it's been to collect these questions. <laughs> month oh, after month, year after year. You're looking for a way out. Yeah, well, Can I, I recommend? I wish I'd known I didn't have to, have to do it. You don't. Well, it's too late now. Write your own Twitter questions and say somebody else wrote them. <laughs> I'm afraid that ship has sailed. Uh, let me ask, uh, uh, Laura Nell asks, 
What specific goals were you unable to achieve in your life because your mother was not quiet enough during your birth? <laughs> a theory of yours, yes? Yes, uh, I'm sorry to say that there was quite a bit of chit-chat during my birth. <laughs> and it's the reason that I had such a difficult time in the army. I, it should have been possible for me to see all the heavy combat that I saw and come out unscathed. But unfortunately, my eyes were damaged by muzzle fire and I sustained injuries during the war. I should have been, a bullet should have been bouncing off of me, except for my Fucking mother! <laughs> Do you recall what she was saying during your birth that caused the problems? Like oh, this child will be possible to hurt. <laughs> what, a, what a curious thing to say. I wish she hadn't said it. <laughs> More's the pity. Dan Rice asks, did you get the chance to see Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master? And if so, what did you think of it? Ah, uh, I did take a look at it. And it's a bunch of baloney. Uh, I was a lot more charming and had more naked girls at my parties. <laughs> Michael McAnally asks, how does it make you feel that the majority of society does not take the Church of Scientology seriously today? Oh, well, that's uh, simply not true. We've got... Uh, I had a feeling that was simply not true. <laughs> We've got statistics that show that 90% of uh, humans currently living on Earth are Scientologists. I'm sorry, what's that percentage? Ninety. Ninety percent. That's based on uh, on uh, measurements and uh, book sales. Are there people on Earth who don't realize they're Scientologists? Oh yes, absolutely, and that's the true crime of it. And that's part of what we've got to do is let them know you're a Scientologist. How does that how does that conversation go down? Do you show up at the door, or is it do you, do you mail them a postcard? How do you how do you review? You can We used to try and show up at the door. Sometimes you get shot. What you do <laughs> is you, you you put up a sign and you say you know free personality test. Who doesn't want to know more about their personality? And then you get them in there and you tell them, hey, you're a Scientologist and, and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Zach John asks, what's your favorite Tom Cruise movie? Oh, what a great question. My favorite Tom Cruise movie, probably Days of Thunder. <laughs> Why Days of Thunder? Well, it just reminds me of my days as a race car driver on Venus. <laughs> One final question. Chad Kohalik? Halik? Who cares? Uh, that is, uh, that, that's a name, uh, that's a very ancient name. That's a name I have. That's a name I have not heard in a quadrillion years. <laughs> when when do you a, last strong, recall hearing that? It's name? a powerful name. Certainly. Well, uh, I was uh, doing uh, commuter space flights in the Ganarian uh, realm, uh, <laughs> just as essentially a bus driver, and uh, my supervisor had that name. <laughs> so you, you were you were sort of <laughs> outer space Ralph Cramden. Yeah, that's right. I was one of the space Cramdons. <laughs> this is one final question, and right. this is from uh, this is from Chad, your old supervisor, descended from. And, and this this question is uh, is for both of us uh, oh. in a way. Why not team up with HG, go back seventy five million years in the time machine, kill Xenu, and prevent the Thetan invasion? What do you say, HG? <laughs> Are you up for one last caper? 
Fuck it, let's go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, wait. My thanks to L. Ron Hubbard for his time, again. And special thanks to Mr. Andy Daly for no particular reason. Once more. This podcast is produced by Mrs. Ben Zelovansky and Paul F. Tompkins, with special material written by Mr. Zelovansky. The producers wish to thank Cody Fisher, Marlene Maginot, Jim Yatto, Mike Still, Susan Hale, and everyone at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre Los Angeles, and Tia Stark and Joel Arkeos of 826LA. Our theme was composed and performed by Mr. Eben Schletter, Esquire. Our program is recorded live and monthly at the UCB Theatre Los Angeles. If you'd like to attend a future recording, tickets may be acquired at ucbtheatre.com. The theatre donates all proceeds to 826LA. For updates on future performances, please like the Dead Authors page on Facebook. For additional updates, or to ask questions of our guests from the safety of your very own thumbs, follow us on Twitter, at DeadAuthorPod. The original Dead Authors reading series was created by Mr. John Korn. Until next time, this is H.G. Wells saying, the show is over.